Yeah. Yo. 50 years of hip hop. 50 years of hip hop from Listener Power, KEXP. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Welcome to 50 Years of Hip Hop, brought to you by KEXP, where the music matters. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. And in this episode, we're taking it back to one of the halcyon years of hip hop. I'm talking about 1988, regarded by many as the greatest year in the genre with classic releases by Eric B. and Rakim, Slick Rick, N.W.A. and Easy e EPMD, Jungle Brothers, Run DMC, Ice-T, Public Enemy, Big Daddy Kane, BDP, MC Light, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. <sighs> However, I want to bring the story a little closer to home, specifically Seattle, for starters, and even more, the station that would become KEXP. A station that I used to be on? Oh, man, I can't beat that. <laughs> I spoke with the legendary Nasty Ness Rodriguez, the DJ who created the show Fresh Tracks on the now defunct Seattle station K-Fox, which was a very important show in the development of rap radio in the U.S. However, in 1988, its future was in question. When you say 1988, it really stands out because after I got fired from K-Fox, I started there in 1980 with the very first rap show ever on the West Coast. And then I got fired in 1988 because the new owners didn't want to play rap anymore. And I wrote them a letter and I said, no, I'm going to keep playing it because you're doing a disservice to the community. They want to hear it. My show has the highest ratings. Why would you do that? And then they didn't really take too well with my letter. I mean, I was polite. I had one of my guys write it for me to make it sound real professional, kind of like if a lawyer wrote it, but it didn't work. And then the next thing I know, I got fired. I was so depressed, Larry. I remember just driving down the freeway crying. And my, my friend Brandy Walker on the radio on K Fox played Lean On Me, dedicating it to me. Three months later, I kid you not. The place to be is on FM Stereo 90.3. I get a call from. Don Yates, DJ Bass, and he asked me, would you like to take your show to KCMU? Before we, we get into tonight's master mix, I wanted to thank a few people before we get into the mix to start off with to KCMU and DJ Bass, also known as Don Yates. 1980 was a year I'll never forget. I'm, and I'm forever grateful to, to Don Yates. And that's where the show Rap Attack first came into being. And to do it right, Ness made sure he brought along with him the mighty shockmaster Glenn Boyd, a DJ who had left his own shock frequency show on KCMU to assist Ness on Fresh Tracks. Together on Rap Attack, the two were a force on Seattle radio, dropping beats and rhymes on Sunday nights for a whole generation of hungry hip-hop listeners. Glenn Boyd's day job at the historic music menu store also helped the show keep its ears to the street as well. He said every time I played a song that was going to hit, they would call up the store and ask for it. A good example is, you know, I was one of the first DJs to play Eazy-E and N.W.A. And after I played it, I had to do my own edit on it. Glenn Boyd called, man, I'm getting calls off the hook for this N.W.A. record. Speaking of N.W.A. and the Ruthless Posse, a lot of rap listeners outside of Seattle first heard Nasty Ness on Easy es classic 1988 debut, Easy Does It, on the very end of the song, appropriately titled Radio. 
Here's Ness himself talking to no less than the legendary Dr. Dre. Hello, you're on the air. Hey, what's up? This is Nasty Ness calling from Seattle. Hey, what's happening, homeboy? I'm calling to be on Easy Easy Records Radio. Now you're late. The record is already over. But that's not the end of Nasty Ness's cultural footprint in 1988 and beyond. He was instrumental in the career of the artist who would in 1988 put Seattle on the map for hip-hop once and for all. The one and only Sir Mix-A-Lot. Before we get to that... What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back. Back into time. Hi, I linked up with Mix. It's kind of weird, man. You know, we went to the same high school, Roosevelt High School. I was two years older than him, so we never interacted and he never wanted to come up to me because he said he would see me in the hallways holding a switchblade. He said, I look really mean. <laughs> you know, I was, I was that kind of guy back then, you know, so we never talked. I graduated in 79. He graduated, I think, in 81. By 1983, when I was on KFOX on Fresh Track doing my radio show, I got a call on the request line, and it was a guy by the name of Anthony Ray, the computerized DJ, I kind of kind of laughed like, okay, that's a kind of a funny name. And then he just told me who he was, and he's from Seattle. And I asked him, why do you call you something computerized DJ? Because he said he loves playing with drum machines, you know, and he loves computers. He's like one of those computer nerds. He just loves that kind of stuff. And then uh, he invited uh, me to see him at the boys club he did dances and stuff there so uh ed Locke and i decided to take our chances to go in the hood knowing that we'd be the only asians in there <laughs> and, and so he said i said you sure you want to go yeah let's go check out this mix lot guy all righty let's do this and uh, so we walked in there man i just everyone just looked at me like i was like some alien from mars but because people really didn't know what I looked like because I was on the radio. And when they heard me on the radio, they thought I actually thought I was black, you know, you know, because I, I grew up in, in, in Yeso Terrace, that area. I went to Immaculate, which was in the CD. So, you know, when they heard me on the air, they go, man, that's a brother. And he goes, no, nah, I think he's Chinese. I said, no. And, and then they find out I'm Filipino. So me and Ed, who's Chinese, we walk in there. And I tell you, Larry... I have never seen what I saw in my life at that time. Here's this guy. It looks like he was in the lunchroom, and he was scratching on these turntables. He was rapping on the mic with that Smurf voice. And then after he was done doing a song, he would play, like, uh, let's say, Moore's Day in the Time, Jungle Love, or something like that. And then if you weren't dancing, he would get on the mic, and he would cuss you out and, and, and say, why did you on the dance floor dancing, you know, blah, blah, blah. I go, dang, this guy's got this place on lock. You know, I've never seen anything like that. So after that happened, you know, we talked and I put my ego aside, not knowing that, that he was also a big fan of mine, you know. So we both had these big egos, you know, but I put mine aside and go, listen, we need to uh, talk. And I like to play like I heard some of your songs you played. And there's a song that's being circulated on, on a mixtape that I had that I first heard you on called Seven Rainier. I, I don't even know what I did with that copy, but I actually had that song. And I, I remember Seven Rainier. I remember that the vocoder voice. And uh, I just, you know, I said, why don't you come to the station? Let's uh, play uh, 
one of your songs or two of your songs on my show. Let's just see what happens. You know, and you got to remember back in that era, you know, no one thought of even playing local music because there was really no local artists. Although I did play the Animal Street Boys, not a song, but I, they used to do the intros for my Fresh Track show. Yeah, so that's how it, we, it started out with me and Mix. Uh, uh, we met that way and uh, we hooked up and he always wanted to scratch a record and scratch his name and go, well, man, maybe we should put a record out, man. Let's start a record label. And Ed Locke was the business guy behind everything, him and another guy named Greg Jones. The name of that label, as christened by Ness himself, paid tribute to the two personalities that came together that fateful day. Nasty Mix Records. But I never dreamed, Larry, that uh, we would be big and become le in a legendary status. And, you know, I never dreamed that. I just, Mixlot just wanted to put a record out so he could scratch his name. I wanted to put a record out because it said Nasty Mix with my logo on it. And, uh, and that was really it, you know. But then, man, everything else kind of happened after that. And it, it was such a great feeling. And that's how I knew it was going to be big because everyone kept requesting his songs on the weekdays. And on the weekdays, it's usually when adults will listen to K-Fox, not, not the younger kids, but they were requesting his songs. I mean, not just teenagers, but even the adults wanted to hear Mix-a-Lot. Can you play this Mix-a-Lot? So my boss, Steve Mitchell, you know, he, he, he's, hey, uh, Nestor, who's this uh, Mix-a-Lot guy you keep playing? <laughs> And I explained to him who he was, and he goes, man, we're getting a lot of calls for this guy. I mean, more calls in a Madonna or a Michael Jackson record. That kind of gave me the idea that uh, I think I stumbled across something. Square Dance Rap was one of my most requested songs when I used to play in our K-Fox. So we decided to go with that song as the first single. And I noticed when I started calling radio stations to play our record, they would play Square Dance Rap. And uh, well, I think it was uh, Alabama uh, that broke Square Dance Rap. And then uh, K-Day in L.A. was the one. And it was thanks to those two stations that it kind of snowballed effect into more and more stations playing square dance rap. And we even got airplane in London, England. We got flown out there to perform at the Fresh Festival. It was us. We were the only West Coast group. It was us and the world-class wrecking crew. That's how I first met uh, Alonzo, Dr. Dre, uh, all those guys, man. And we were, we were the only ones from the West Coast sitting in the back of a 747. <laughs> and uh, everybody else, uh, all the big-name East Coast artists were sitting up front, and none of them would speak to us. So it was cool, though. You know, it was an experience. But the, our record, Square Dance Rap, was really big in London, you know. As popular as Square Dance Rap was, it would pale in comparison to a song to come, a tribute to a particular street in Seattle, but would prove to have universal appeal and a monster sound, literally. I love that noise. And I found out they made it with a guitar. Here's Mix-A-Lot talking to VisitSeattle.tv. I started to make noises with my mouth. I was able to take that noise and put it in the 1200 and speed it up. So that's where you get the... 
and that big thunder lizard beat was heard coast to coast. Paul Sambrai was getting a lot of requests when they played on my show, but I really thought uh, if we put that out as a single, we would break big in New York because New York had the biggest Broadway. I mean, every, every city has a Broadway, but New York had the biggest Broadway, but it never really hit New York. It hit on the uh, college stations, but never hit on the main big stations, you know, but everywhere else it hit because every city had a Broadway, every city had a Martin Luther King Jr. Street, you know. I can say personally, it was definitely hitting hard in L.A. thanks to the legendary K-Day FM. I was nine, ten years old hearing this song in L.A. There was explicitly about a Seattle experience, and I was loving it. I didn't realize it was from Seattle, though. I thought it was from New York City. That was the only Broadway I'd heard anything about. Frankly, I don't think I even knew what a Seattle was until my mother told me that I was moving there a few years later. And when I did, all I would have to do was get on the 7 Rainier or the number 9 to get up to Broadway and hang out. And literally, standing online to get a cheeseburger at Dick's, I think that's when I finally put it together. Dick's is the place where the cool hang out. The swaths like to play and the rich flaunt clout. That's where I would cruise all the time. And that's where we would hang out and eat. Uh, matter of fact, my first big check, I, I bought a condo literally down the street from Dick's, you know. But yeah, that was the hangout back then because they had a, a place called Arnold's where everyone would go in there, play video games, eat and everything. But yeah, that that was the hangout spot that we would always go to. Here's Mix-A-Lot talking to VisitSeattle.tv. Now we're headed to Broadway. This is the route we always took. The reason Broadway was a hangout spot, because you'd see people that didn't live in your hood. You had the south end and the CD, boom. North end, boom. Downtown, boom. The hub was right there. White kids, black kids, Asian kids, old folks, young folks, everybody, straight, gay, didn't matter. We didn't care. We just kicked it. Broadway was like a cool place. That's why the song ends there. I never thought it would hit. I thought it was just something for the homies. And, and um, then I started touring and I realized every city has a Broadway. And it ended up being a song that everybody could relate to because of its simplicity. No one really knew about Seattle back then, if you really think about it. They, you know, I remember being at a conference. I, I played a Mixlot song just so they can hear it. And in New York, I was in New York and they go, well, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and don't get your feelings hurt, but that's only going to hit in Seattle. And what's in Seattle? Uh, Nestor, Nasty Nestor, uh, what, horses? It rains a lot, and that's it. <laughs> and I, you know, I said, well, you got part of it right, but there's more to it than just that, and, and I proved them wrong. You know? Nasty Mix would, in fact, prove those doubters wrong when Sir Mix-a-Lot's debut album, Swass, dropped with its lead single, Posse on Broadway, on September 1st, 1988. It made quite a splash. By April of 1989, it had sold over 500,000 records, earning a gold plaque. In 1990, it had sold over a million copies, earning a platinum one. Not bad for an independent label out of Seattle, Washington. It was the biggest success a Seattle label had seen since Jordan Records dropped a single in 1963 from a Portland band called The Kingsmen with their hit cover of Richard Berry's Louie Louie. The success of Swass 
in Posse on Broadway was the world's first cue that Seattle had something to say. In just a couple of years, the whole industry would become obsessed with the Emerald City. This is 50 Years of Hip Hop. This episode is written by me, Larry Mizell Jr., and put together by the ever-patient Roddy Nickpour. Under the supervision of our podcast manager, Isabel Khalili. Huge thanks to the OG Nasty Ness for talking with me. FYI, Nasty Ness, who relocated to L.A. decades ago, is still working with artists in college radio via his site, rapattacklives.com, and he's still on the radio, back on Sunday nights right here in Seattle. They always look forward to Sunday nights. <laughs> I'm back on the air Sunday nights from 9 to 11 on Rainier Avenue Radio.world. It's called K Fox Nightbeat. So this is like I never left. I got a lot of people that listen to me when they're kids that are grandfathers now. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing. And then their kids listen to me. And, man, you know, I, I love it. Thanks again, Ness, and thanks everyone listening for powering KEXP with the music matters. Peace. <laughs>